Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I am Catherine Murray, and once again, I'm so thrilled to be able to bring you new ideas, differentiated ideas from some of the top thinkers and money managers out there. Today, we have Matt McCall, who's the editor of McCall Report. Matt, welcome, and I want you to um, give a little bit of your background. I think some of my former viewers might know you, recognize you, but just tell us a little bit about your background and, and what you've been doing for all these years on Wall Street. Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's a pleasure to be on. Um, you know, I began uh, almost 20 years ago at my own uh, money management firm called Penn Financial Group, which I sold last October. Um, I had a crowdfunding company called Crowdvest. I sold recently a broker-dealer, uh, and I've been doing investment newsletters. Uh, I was also a uh, uh, contributor at Fox News and Fox Business for 10 years. And I used to come on BNN a lot, uh, you know, or when it was BNN, I guess, Bloomberg now, uh, Canada. But I used to love coming to Toronto and going on the show. And everybody there always thought I was crazy because I was like the only person who had energy at 5 a.m. to show up for the morning show. Everybody else is quiet. <laughs> but um, yeah, I love it. So I've been doing a, lot, a little bit of everything. And now that I'm doing, you know, I sold a lot of companies, I'm concentrating on independent financial research. Uh, so for helping the average person out there find ideas that uh, typically they're, you know, in this day and age, there's so many ideas out there. You really have to sift through to see what's what's worth it. Right. And um uh, you know, it's interesting to take a look at the, the themes that I think you're invested in as well. Um, why, why don't we just talk about some of the themes that you think are interesting and then, and then we'll drill down into the details. You know, my whole thesis is, is basically like a top-down approach, macro to micro, and, and majority of Wall Street, uh, in my opinion, is, is uh, bottom-up. So they'll love a company, but if it's in a sector that's struggling, the odds of you picking that one stock that's going to perform is, is very low to me where I'd rather look at trends I know are going to continue to expand over the next five to 10 years and then try to play to what I believe are the top companies in that. And I'd call myself an innovation investor if I had to put a tag on it and not just technology, but everything from uh, the fact that no matter what happens with wars, no matter what happens with politics, anything out there, inflation, there's going to be more electric vehicles on a road by the end of the decade, no matter what. There's nothing we could do to stop that unless the world ends and that only happens once. So I try to find trends that, that have real, real good tailwinds. And uh, regardless of what happens in the world, should continue to grow and outpace the market itself. Hmm. So why don't we pick up on that in terms of um, the electric vehicle play and um, where you like to be invested to, to play off of that? Well, you know, I saw a chart this morning uh, in the car on the way to work. They showed uh, the value of Tesla a little over a trillion dollars, and they showed the rest. And the rest all combined were like 0.9 trillion, so 900 billion. It's, it's just amazing how this car company, I remember, you know, years ago being on Fox, and I always loved Tesla because I loved Elon Musk. I thought he's a genius. Crazy, but a genius. And, mm -hmm. you know, everybody was said, not everybody, most people said Tesla is going bankrupt. No, we can't have a new car company in this country. That's crazy. And look at that. So I think that's a great example of looking at companies that can disrupt areas that you think can never be disrupted. My way to play, I think Tesla is a great long-term buy. I, I think it's a $4,000 stock by the end of the decade. I think not only the vehicle aspect, the battery aspect, the energy storage aspect of it, 
Uh, I think Elon Musk is a complete genius. Uh, so I, I would back him. It's like backing the jockey in a horse race. Uh, I, I believe that he will continue to um, gain more market share. And, and, you know, they are the clear global leader by far. Mm -hmm. So that's Tesla. But what do you want to play in terms of the um, the batteries or lithium? Oh, the battery. Yeah. So yeah, I, I love the battery stocks. Yeah, I, I love that's one of my favorite themes out there. I love battery stocks because batteries are in everything, you know, from our cell phones to the computers and obviously cars, you know, the size of the batteries in the cars are enormous. And with the growth of EVs going from about 3% penetration in US last year to 30 to 40% by 2030, that's a huge upside. Uh, so one company I like is Lifecycle, L-I-C-Y. It's about a $1.1 billion company. It is the largest recycler of lithium ion batteries in North America. And uh, recently public last year via SPAC and anything went public via SPAC tends to get hit, obviously. Uh, but what I like about it is it's got amazing growth. In the next four years, it's going to average 81% annual revenue growth, 71 or 77% bottom line growth. Um, you know, the revenue of this fiscal year, fiscal 2021, 7.3 million, three years from now, 582 million. So I mean, it's tough to find companies with such growth like that should turn profitable in the next three years. You always wanna have a path to profitability with smaller companies. But because there's such a shortage of lithium out there right now, you have to turn to recycling and boy, are they sitting in just one of the greatest uh, areas out there right now, because we know that the demand's there and we know the supply's an issue, so you need to recycle. That's so interesting, because I don't think a lot of people are talking about the recycling. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, the naysayers will say, you know, that the battery aspect of it and disposing of it is such an issue, mm -hmm. right? In, yeah. from an environmental perspective. So where are we though, in terms of the recycling of, of batteries? Like how many companies are out there? Are they really able to recycle it the way it needs to be done? What, what's that like? The they are, and, and yeah, there, there's different technologies. There's a large company in, uh, in Europe that, that's leading the charge. And, uh, you know, Lifecycle here in North America, there, there's a certain technology that they're able to extract a large percentage of that lithium. In the past, you would take the lith old lithium ion batteries and you'd waste a lot of it. And there's other, there's other metal, uh, metals in there as well that are, that are very expensive that can be used and recycled as well. So they figured out a technology, how to separate those metals from the battery when it's recycling and getting, I think, a little over 90% of lithium is still uh, restored from that. So that, that's huge. And, and it took technology and time to get there and we're finally there. Hmm. So that's L-I-C-Y? Yes. Okay. And just real quick as well. Um, where do you think institutions are in knowing and owning this name? Very low. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but okay. I, you know, most of the names outside of probably DraftKings that I'm going to talk about in a minute, they, it's, they're, they're smaller cap and mid cap and typically under the radar. And that's how I like it because I want institutions to eventually find out about it. Uh, but I'd right. say it's probably very low in life cycle. Okay. Um, and just to follow up, since we brought up uh, Elon Musk, um, and I think you wrote about this or maybe one of your colleagues um, on YouTube, but the fact that he bought Twitter, does that mean you buy Twitter as well? Well, you know, because Twitter is going to be going at $54.20, I think it is a takeout price. So, I mean, it's at yeah. 49 and change now. So you only have a little upside, but I will say, I think the deal goes through. So if you want to kind of have a five or 10% upside, not much downside, I think it's not a bad play to park money in a crazy money, but you're limited upside. And I think, I think what he's doing for Twitter will be good. I mean, not picking political sides by any means, yeah. but you, know, you and I, you are in, in the business of talking to people in the public. And I think we should be able to say what we want within reason. You know? Right. Okay. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he does grow the company dramatically and then yeah. take a public again. He could definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Playbook. All right, let's take a look at another uh, another stock that you're bringing us today. Um, MP Minerals. 
Yep. So MP, yeah, MP Materials is the largest producer of rare earth minerals in the Western Hemisphere. It's based here in the United States. Um, it's really the only one of scale in North America. And rare earth minerals, you might people may have heard about that in, in the last couple of years because of uh, supply chain issues, because of a trade war we have a couple of years ago with China, because China really has between 80 and 90 percent of rare earth minerals and the refining process, which is very important. And we have zero refining of rare earth minerals right now in the United States. Uh, we're building a plant in Texas, a company by the name of Linus, which is publicly traded in Australia. Uh, yeah. is going to be building that. So it's actually a company I own in my own portfolio. Uh, so that's a nice way to play this. But the rare earth minerals, they're critical for batteries. We just talked about batteries, critical for defense, uh, for technology, um, for all types of electric vehicles, uh, phones, you name it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's something that is, that is really needed. And we can't rely on countries that really aren't friendly to us, or they, they can kind of cut us off at any point. And we've seen how supply chain issues have hurt us with what's going on in Ukraine and, and Russia. So this is, to me, a, a huge, huge play going forward. And what I like about it, even though it's only a $6.8 billion company, it is profitable already. And it's profitable to the pretty good tune. Next couple of years, they're expected to grow both top and bottom line revenue and earnings at least 25% a year, which is fantastic. So, and I think that that's kind of low, you know, low there. I, I think this company, you know, because it is a leader here and it's getting money from the government, which is backing, which always helps. Uh, so I think this is a huge winner and it's a great secondary way of playing the technologies that are going forward uh, in the next 10 years. Hmm. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering, what are your thoughts? I don't know if you have any, um, because you're so you're focused on MP, but um, uh, of the rare earth minerals that we have in Ontario. Again, I don't know if you've looked at that. I mean, it was looked at many years ago in terms of the ring of fire that kind of got put aside because there were there actually is so much supply outside of North America. Maybe the war really has changed that in terms of access and supply chains. But, you know, it also takes a lot to develop in terms of the roads and infrastructure. Any any thoughts there? Yeah, the problem is with with mines like that, like you just mentioned it, you know, it takes years, it takes a lot of money behind that. So you need to have somebody financing that and hoping that obviously, you know, the amount that comes out of ground prices are high, you get your money back. It's just like gold or silver or copper or anything else. Um, I, I, I see it most likely being uh, developed because I think somebody will come with money realizing the demand for rare earth minerals is only going to increase dramatically over the next five to 50 years. And, and again, there's a lot in Australia and China and different areas. But the thing is, do we want to rely on China refining it and, and relying on them? Because obviously they're pushing forward with a lot of technologies and they need it. And, and they're obviously a huge country growing quickly. So they could cut us off at any point. So I think the Western world needs to start building their own. With, with MP, are there any big backers? Because that was one of the criticisms with Ring of Fire, that there were no huge um, players from around the world that apparently took an interest in, in really expanding it because of the costs. Does MP have some interesting financiers behind it or just went out it alone? Yeah, I, I mean, they they had a couple, but nothing that where it's a significant amount of money. Um, so they're, they're pretty diverse holdings as far as the institutional side of it. Um, so I, I don't see it that way, but they did. I mean, when they raised money, they went public not too long ago, also via SPAC a couple of years ago. Um, hmm. It was one of the better performing SPACs, obviously. They, they they raise money quickly. They had a nice valuation, and they've held the valuation and, and gone up. So I'm pretty impressed with that. And MP is, it stands for Mountain Pass. So back in the day, there was a company called Mountain Pass, which was developing this mine, and they went bankrupt. Uh, so this, huh. somebody else came in and bought it, and, and, the, and then they took it public again, uh, realizing, again, it was a little probably too early because the demand for the rare earth minerals wasn't there yet, but now that it's here. And that's why you can see, you know, Canada being, okay, prices are now at a level where it's economically makes sense to, to start, you know, developing it. Yeah. 
Got it. Okay, let's take a look at another one. Um, what What's another theme that you're thinking about here? Um, you know, I, I love cryptos. I'm very heavily invested in my own money. Uh, so my, my net worth varies from day to day, like you wouldn't believe. So I tend not to look at it too much. Um, but a, a, a nice way for the average person to play cryptos if they don't want that uh, is Silvergate Capital and that's symbol SI. It's about $3.8 billion, billion, you know, we call it a regional bank. But what they do is they do business with a lot of the large um, crypto institutions, uh, the Coinbase's of the world, uh, the Gemini's, the, the big um, uh, marketplaces out there. Uh, so, you know, a lot of other banks don't want to deal with anything crypto. They have a payment system that, that uh, links them, to, uh, their bank, Silvergate, to these other exchanges, uh, really uh, head and shoulders above the rest of banks when it comes to the thing. It's see by the performance of the stock in the last couple of years. I mean, it's blowing away every other bank out there. Uh, highly profitable. And, you know, by 2024, it's looking to make over $10.50 a share. So this is a really nice play. It trades at a nice valuation, uh, considering how much of a growth stock it is. Uh, both revenue and earnings expected to grow about 40% annually in the next three years. Uh, and again, it's a it's a secondary play on cryptos. It does kind of go to way of blockchain or, uh, of Bitcoin from time to time. So if you, if you think Bitcoin's going to break out in the next year or so, this would be a great uh, way to play it. So a Bitcoin bank, a crypto bank, in other words. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So just real brief on that, because there's no real regulation that I know of yet. And I follow this daily um, surrounding banks or banking. I mean, obviously, they need a conduit of sorts. This yep. is the conduit. Um, what are the thoughts, though, in terms of, you know, any kind of regulatory risk, I suppose, is the question. I just gave a speech on this last Sunday in Tampa and, and everybody kept asking about regulation about Bitcoin. What if the government takes all my Bitcoin, all this, you know, all the crazy things that could possibly happen. And yeah, th there is always that risk of a regulation hurting it. I, I don't think it's going to happen. It's not a big concern of mine. Could it happen? Yes. But um, I, I don't think the government's going to step in and do that. And, and again, it's still the really the wild, wild west out there when it comes to a lot of cryptos. So a little bit of regulation, I'm anti-regulation typically, but okay. a little bit of regulation is not bad. You know, that's okay. To, you know, because what that does, it makes institutions and big money feel safer going into it, which will drive more money, which of course with limited supply in Bitcoin will push the price up. So I'm okay with a little bit. I just hope that they don't overstep their boundaries. And I don't think they will because I think they realize as they, they, the government, how important this is. Yeah. And you're seeing uh, more and more governments around the world adopt this and, and even as legal tender, which is interesting. Yes. So it was El Salvador, October of 2021. And then which country was it last week? It was just an African country. I can't remember who it, it was. was. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, but um, but one of my questions, though, surrounding this is also on the front page of the business um, business section of the Wall Street Journal yesterday had uh the title Wall Street firms warming up to cryptocurrencies and, and really because their large institutional clients and their retail clients, you know, want access. Do you think at all that there could be a risk that, I don't know, the big banks, you know, swoop in and kind of dominate more than all these independent players? I think if anything, like an independent player like Silvergate would, they would buy them. You know, it's a, it's trading at $3.8 billion for JP Morgan or City or somebody coming to buy them is nothing. Thing. You know, they're so big. So I think the technology that they've built um, and, and, the, and the money transfer system and software that they built, it's much easier to buy it than try to bring somebody in house to build it out and, and compete. So, yeah, if anything, it, it'd be a buyout. And I, I still find it, it funny because, you know, you have Jamie Dimon at, at, at JP Morgan still saying it's, you know, Bitcoin's BS and all this stuff. And I don't know if you saw the quotes out of Berkshire Hathaway's meeting last weekend uh, about Munger 
and and you know calling it evil and something else a couple other things buffett said he wouldn't pay 25 dollars for all the bitcoin in the world it's just funny like seeing uh, mm-hmm. you know, the older school people but I, I i was telling my readers yesterday i said you also have to realize they're combined ages 199 years so oh, they're maybe you know they're, they're not they don't need to worry about bitcoin right now at yeah this point. they've made their money in the things we've all we all have loved and continue to love exactly um exactly. Let, let's take a look at another uh, stock nova again yep. a lot of these are names that people don't know about what, what's the story here so Sonova is, uh, is a large residential um, solar play uh, here in the U.S. Uh, and Canada. So I see we're, we're really going to move in that direction, especially with uh, you know, gas and, and petrol prices going up due to the war and due to several other factors. And you're seeing your heating bills really go up. I, I mean, you're talking to I'm talking to people and it's just amazing uh, how much they pay. They're, they're paying more. And and a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck or, you know, they don't spend their money correctly. So they feel that. And, and I, I think you're going to see a, a big push towards solar power. And, and the way the government's looking that they're pushing their initiative uh, of a green uh, energy, that you'll start seeing some more um, kind of credits coming for people who want to do that. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's a nice long term slow play uh, just on the back of residential uh, solar growing uh, North America. I mean, there were so many companies that went you know, bankrupt solar players going back to the early 2000s. How different is it today? Uh, you know, that, that's kind of one of those, those situations where it's, it's a newer technology. Everybody rushes in and wants to be a part of it. And then all of a sudden you realize, okay, we all can't be here. There's winners and losers. There's Darwinism, survival of the fittest. And the ones that make it through, uh, to me, are the ones that they've shown that, they, that, they're, that they're strong and they're going to keep going. So Sonova hasn't been around that long. Uh, it, it went public back in uh, 2019. It's about a $2 billion company. Um, but uh, again, you know, it's got nice growth on, on the top line, bottom line. Uh, it should start making money probably mid, mid-decade. Uh, but you're seeing, you know, two years ago, 240 million, next year, 500 million. So you're doubling the uh, top line in a matter of two years. Okay. And lastly, DraftKings. This yeah, was so DraftKings is What's that? Sorry. Such a huge story. I mean, still today, you want it. I, I do. I, I think it's, it's an overlooked story. I started talking about it right when the, the law was passed or the law was removed, I should say, to allow uh, sports gambling. I'm a big sports guy. So I, I love sports. And uh, actually, my Philadelphia Sixers just knocked out the Toronto Raptors, which I'm very happy about. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, so DraftKings, you know, even Morgan Stanley came out and they said that they believe by 2025, which is three short years from now, that the U.S. sports and game, iGaming industry will be worth $21 billion. Last year, it was about $1.5 billion. So that's mm-hmm. enormous growth because there's more states coming on, legalizing, expanding it. Um, and, and how people better are different now. And in, over in England, it's been like this for a long time. So you could be in the middle of a, a basketball game, say, let's say you can say, okay, yes or no, will Joel Embiid make the next free throw? Five bucks, yes or no, boom. So, and all, and all the leagues are, are, are joining with uh, casinos and sports, you know, DraftKings is in a lot of these arenas. And so you go <laughs> in, your app pops up, you could bet. I mean, it, it could get dangerous, but it's, it's moving that direction. And, you know, DraftKings is only a $6 billion company and uh, their revenue last year, was 614 million by 2024, looking for nearly 3.5 billion. So to wow. me, it's trading cheap at, at where it's at. And uh, I think there's great, great upside with sports gambling and DraftKings is a leader clear, clearly. So uh, I think down here, this price is great. Well, yeah. So why is it at this price? Why did the street kind of start to walk away from it? You know, I, 
a lot of the themes I talk about are innovation, growth, smaller cap, and that area has gotten absolutely crushed uh, yeah. really since you know last October-ish time frame, even even earlier. Um, we've seen we've seen that area get really really hit, and you know the Nasdaq did go into a bear market uh, recently, you know down at least twenty percent, but the S and P is only down about thirteen half fourteen. Uh, but if you look at the Nasdaq and you break down a Nasdaq composite, all you know thousands of stocks that are in there. At one point last month, I believe it was 44% of the stocks were down at least 50%. So it may uh -huh. not feel like a, a bear market necessarily, so the big indices, but in certain growth stocks, we're in a really deep bear market, probably the deepest one that we've seen since 2008. So a lot of these companies get swept up in that. And you know, you look at companies like this, if they're not profitable yet, people throw them out. They're, they're not making money. It's the same thing they said about Amazon for years. You know, Jeff Bezos doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't ever make money. Well, that was a hell of a call. You know, that didn't work out too well. So I, again, I always look for a path to profitability and a trend that's continued to keep growing. And I think DraftKings fits that perfectly. Hmm. Okay. Um, Matt, we will leave it there. Great to get your thoughts today. Oh, and I'd love to dissect more and, and, and learn about what you're telling, you know, what you're speaking about on crypto in Absolutely, Tampa. Yeah. That sounds good. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. Thank you. We'll speak to you soon.